Oh, there you are. Hey, buddy. Uh, sorry for the delay. Oh, you're fine. I just got a chance to play this new guitar I bought myself for my birthday. Oh, wow. Wow, that's how, pretty. How cool is this big old red son of a bee? Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about it. What's it? What's its special stats and everything? Not that I know what that means. Um, but... <laughs> well, it's a it's a semi hollow body, so it's an electric guitar, but it has these what are called f holes in them. Um, yep, figly holes. And what it does is it puts a bunch of space in the guitar body, so the guitar body itself reverberates the sound a lot before the electronic pickups would send it to the amp. Yeah. So it, it gives you kind of um, a richer, fuller sound. It's somewhere between like an electric guitar and an acoustic guitar because it's got that chamber of resonance. Electric yeah. guitars don't usually have holes in them. Mm-hmm. Acoustic guitars are giant holes. So it's got that going for it. These type of guitars uh, were used a lot by like the Beatles back then, like George Harrison, John Lennon. You'd see them playing these. Uh, they, they would particularly play a model called a Casino. This is called an ES-335, but it's called Raspberry Burst. And it's very pink and pretty. <laughs> it's got a special type of pickups, which are the electric things I've always wanted called humbuckers. No, none of my guitars have, and this has those. Yeah, I've just always wanted wow. a kind of a resonant guitar. Yeah, cool. So God, that's that's awesome. Yeah, I, it's it's. I'm very excited. Sounds great. Sounds great. Place presents a perfectly acceptable podcast, episode 281. It's a comic podcast by some buddies who run a comic shop together. Every week we do one of these for the most part. You know, sometimes we miss it, sometimes we don't have them out because we announce it ahead of time. But essentially, we get a bunch of comics in every week because that's how we do. We go home, we read them, and then we get on this old podcast horn and we engage in a variety of tangents, either related to or unrelated to the comics we read, the comic shop that we run, or the comings and goings of our lives. I not always, but for the most part, always. I'm Jeff. And I am the new champion of the comics place. Ooh, that's a reference Roman. to the comics we're <laughs> going to talk about this week. Roman, I've got to return an old bit to this new home I'm in. Oh, let's do it. And it's hot in here. I got the heat <laughs> on. It's hot in this new cinder block home that I'm in. Didn't happen last week, but uh, new home, same problems. I got 99 <laughs> degrees and a pro- I got 99 problems and the degrees are one away from being a hundred or something. I don't know. I don't something know. like that. There's, there's something yeah. there. Yeah. Wow. Well, that well, that's nice though, because usually this time of you you're 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 freezing. You're I can see icicles in your beard. That's true. When I have a beard, it is generally icicled. Yeah. Um, icicled. Oh. Okay. Everyone, oh. Django's not here, but clearly I'm carrying his water. <laughs> if you know what I mean. Um, Django is out of town right now, celebrating his 36th wedding anniversary with <laughs> Erica. Boren. Wow, I'm just proliferating <laughs> misinformation right now. Uh, he is celebrating a, a dating anniversary, though, with Erica. So some information was correct in all of that. Um, and he's they, on that, Hurricane man, Watch right now in Florida. That's amazing. They've been, they've been dating as long as I've been alive. I know. It's incredible. I know. That's, well, they, that's they right. They met in... while they were both gazing at, at you into the baby ward. <laughs> you with your collapsed left lung and your inability to <laughs> yeah. breathe out of your nose. <laughs> he's been on a he's been on a breathing machine ever since. And I and forgot that, they were in Florida. Wow. That breathing machine is called comics. Hey, it was my birthday <laughs> this week, so we're recording this kind of late. Um, and because we're a man down, we're actually gonna it's gonna be kind of a shorter one this week. Uh, <laughs> it's been hard to find time for this one, but we are gonna get it done. <laughs> But before we get it done and get into the whole thing, Andrew, I leave it up to you to choose whether or not you leave that burp in. Um, I got a, I got an email here from the wonderful William Elmer. He oh. says, "Happy 
Hello and happy Jeff's birthday, episode 291. I hope you had an amazing birthday, Jeffrey. You should know that you are loved by many and adored by even more. That's incredibly kind, William. Thank you. Recently, on my birthday, a wonderful friend gifted me a trade paperback of Monkey Meat, a book that came out recently that was not on my radar at all, and I read it and really enjoyed it quite a bit, and I'm so thrilled I was gifted it because I might not have ever noticed it otherwise. What is a book, TV show, or movie that wasn't on your radar at all, but a friend ended up finding a way to get it in front of you, and you ended up enjoying it a lot? Turn up. Love you guys. Awesome. Awesome. Will. Well, Will, that's kind of a uh, low hanging fruit because an easy one would be when you finally made me watch Ted Lasso and it became one of my favorite things. Um, mm. And I wouldn't have engaged in it otherwise. And I in turn got a bunch of other people to engage in it that wouldn't have engaged in it otherwise. And they have since loved it. So that's an easy one for me. Yeah. And yeah, that, that that's a good one because you got me to watch Ted Lasso because before and before that, I thought, oh, it sounds like it's too treacly and and nice, yeah. but it's it's nice in the most perfect ways nice can be yeah. um and you know one of the things i've noticed out in the world is because of that show i people just random people like my other job and stuff i hear people say i appreciate you mm. <laughs> and it's just it's just really sweet i love it um uh, i say that because of a customer in the store that used to come in years ago mark duff who would go appreciate you oh yeah i remember, remember him. him yeah yeah now i do um I'm going to say, I mean, you would think this would have been on my radar because of our, our mutual bracket backgrounds here, but um, uh, the, the She-Ra Princess of Power oh, yeah. um, cartoon on Netflix, uh, Brayden actually, I think got me to watch that. And it's, yep. it's a fantastic show. They're a huge fan of that show. Yeah. Um. Gosh almost anything my best buddy Wyatt has recommended to me out of the blue has ended up being something that I've loved. A lot of that is music. Um, he got me to engage in many of the most things, but let's do an easy one uh, as well. Django Boren, probably with Bob Dylan, you know, he was obviously yeah. on my radar, but uh, it was Bob. It was being able to share it with Django that made me love it even more. Rush from Roman. Rush mm. J- Roman wasn't exactly like Jeff. Go listen to Rush, but I watched this documentary and R- Roman had an affinity for them and and being able to share that enthusiasm with Roman definitely nurtured it. So what I would say is, anytime I'm able to come across something where there is another person that is enthusiastic about it and it allows me to kind of share in that enthusiasm with them, it definitely you know, increases my enjoyment of the thing quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. You did the same thing with me and tool. Oh, I love that band. God, I love that band. And even rage against the machine. I love that band too, Roman. God. (laughs) Um, yeah, uh, I wish I had like a really good comic answer for you. Um, but kind of everything is every comic is kind of that for me in my mind. Like, yeah, everything is an awesome comp, you know, is an awesome thing you stumble into because there's so much coming out at any given point, or, you know, there's been so much that has already existed. There's always wonderful things to find, you know, preacher is one. Yeah. We all, I mean, I think it was, it was either you and Braden or both of you that got me to read, uh, Oh, the current run of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh yeah. That was a Braden Cause, move. Yeah. Cause, cause yeah, I hadn't read it since Eastman and Laird. Yeah. Oh, it's good stuff. Um, well, I guess on the topic of good stuff, let's get into this discussion of the comics this week. Uh, not not to immediately say, hey, here's the good stuff, but Roman, I'm curious. You know, we're gonna we're exploring with this, not ex- having the entire regiment of books listed out beforehand. But um, on the topic of great, my favorite cover of the week this week was the new champion of Shazam with art by Jen Bartel. Did you see this cover? Oh yeah, I did. That's the, yeah, the variant cover, or maybe it's the B cover. That was beautiful. Yeah um she's like sitting on top of a mountain it looks like the paramount logo and she's like (laughs) looking just beautiful and dainty in the face and then super fudging ripped in her (laughs) biceps like she could tear me apart if she needed to and it's not that often that i take a comic home for the cover if it's not frank quietly but i had to do that with this issue and then i thought i should i should probably just read the issue as well (laughs) um so i you know i always love to kind of just dip in on a random issue of a series hadn't read any of this so far I did know that there was an anthropomorphic rabbit in it earlier. So I was excited for that, but I didn't really see hide nor hair <laughs> of it in this issue. Um, Beautiful. Thank you. But thank you. Uh, but Roman, are you reading this book? Uh, you've got to be. How is it? How, I, I, mean, am it I was sad to see there's only one issue left. Oh, yeah, it is only four issues. Um, And they bet they better end issue four with calling her Mary Marvel because this new champion of Shazam is just too much of a mouthful. It's not a good name, but so am I to understand that she has replaced Shazam? Is that what's going on here? Um, 
Is it because all the Justice she, League yeah, is dead? She, she kind of has because I forget which miniseries or what, but Billy Batson, Shazam, formerly Captain Marvel. He prefers William Batson. Yeah, William. He's he's William Elmer. William um, Elmer Batson. <gasps> oh my God, Will is Shazam. Oh, shit. he's more of a Black Adam. Yeah. Oh, he's got to take us flying. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. Well. Uh, William William Batson. He's down. He's stuck in hell. He's guardian. He's guarding a um as as Shazam. He's guarding a some door that's in hell that's holding this horrible demon creature at bay and 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 that's how mary you know when he did that all of the um all of the kids that lived in the group home with with billy and mary you can say yeah they all had shazam powers well in order to fight this thing in hell billy took all all their powers into himself and selfish yeah, so Mary left the home and she got into college and she's going to college and starting a new life and all excited about that. But then all of a sudden she meets this rabbit and that her roommate's rabbit who turns out can talk to her, but she's the only one that knows it can talk. And and she's and she gets her Shazam powers back and she didn't even want them back. But now she's got them and she's the only person on earth currently with Shazam powers. I'm so into that, that pitch. So you think it'll probably end with her kind of being the official Shazam, but not needing pro- to go probably, champion. you know, and there's tension with her, you know, her, the rest of her family, the other kids, because they're all like, well, how can you get to be a Shazam again? And none of the rest of us do. And what's up with that? And, um, so that's a good little subplot. And then this issue, uh, Uncle Marvel Dudley shows up again, who in the old comics was a kindly old man for various reasons who met them and, thought he he was also a marvel but he doesn't actually have any marvel powers he just made himself a costume and would is go on adventures with him round homeless guy yeah yeah and this oh. in this series he's homeless in the old series like you know he would be a teacher or something somebody they knew so huh. yeah it's a it's a fun series I, i'm enjoying it it's i like her uh i like her personality i like the fact that you know she's in the that kind of typical thing where she's a reluctant superhero but feels the risk you know great power great responsibility she's got to do use her powers for good yeah i like her i like the way she's written in this they do that reluctance thing really really well i mean again i was just dipping in but i also i really really don't i've never known too much about the shazam world of characters they never super interested me but i like her design but this whole book is written by oh gosh josie campbell yeah, and she's great, but the art is by Evan Shaner, who if you, you probably recognize from uh, Strange Adventures. So it's also gorgeous. And they encounter this baddie in here, um, Babel. Is that a character that you've seen before, Roman? I didn't recognize him. I just love that he uses words to like kind of spin spin you into a bad acid trip, like make you start experiencing the worst things. And the way that they visually interpret that in this issue was awesome. Just like giant stone letters saying like, what a piece of utter trash are falling on her and um yeah i like that character and how it was portrayed could you use a little bit more bunny roman yeah there was less uh less hoppy hoppy the marvel bunny in this issue than in previous issues um we get the final the final panel has the the hoppy bunny yeah yeah and and i love and actually one of my favorite characters i think a lot of people's favorite characters from the jeff johns shazam series was darla um the youngest of the yeah um, makeshift family that was introduced in that series is she the um, one that at the end has the bunny and it takes off yeah yeah okay yeah, yeah she's sweet i love the, her interplay with mary yeah yeah, yeah it's, it's good stuff i oh yeah this also had the the first this was the first comic this week um that i saw the uh the ad for the new golden age this new jsa jeff johns one shot which i'm very excited by i've got um, a copy of that in my home <laughs> right now to read Oh my gosh, it's it's coming up next week. Yeah, it's on the table cool. upstairs, but you can take it home tomorrow. Oh, sweet. Um, spoilers for what day we're recording this. But uh, yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't say that this book is like changing the fabric of reality, but the cover was great enough that it got me to read it. And I felt like I was on board the whole time. I liked the characters. I think they're well-written. The art is gorgeous. Uh, I give it a 7.5. I think it'll, I don't, you know, when a thing like this comes out, it's a four issue mini series. I'm trying to think of how easy it'll be to turn people onto this when it comes out as a paperback collection. And I don't know how easy it will be. I think it will take probably people coming in mentioning that they really liked the movie or something. We don't have a lot of people coming in looking for Shazam stuff. Yeah. And I bet, I don't know when the new movie comes out. I'm guessing it's maybe going to be about the same time that the collection of this comes out. Yeah. I think we're within a month or so, I think. Okay. Okay. But yeah, we can we can tie those together because Mary Mary is the um, the the like she, the Shazam um, Trinity is 
Captain Marvel, Shazam, and then Mary Marvel and Captain Marvel Jr. Um, of course. The the one in the blue suit who Elvis based this look off of. Um, oh. So, yeah, Elvis is a movie, and I remember him recently, like, they showed pictures of that, but I, for, I didn't realize it was oh, actually they? He was strictly doing it on a, a specific character who had the blue. Yeah, yeah, that, that Elvis's little half cape was based on Captain Marvel Jr., and some of his other and some of Elvis's other outfits were were inspired by that. It was his favorite superhero. Um, well, at least Elvis liked him a lot. Yeah, yeah. And the king, the king's got to know. I mean, that king, other than our usual comic king, right? Jack. Yeah, Jack and Elvis. Jack and Elvis. Uh, did you get a score for me? Uh, I gave it an eight. It's a fun series. Yeah. Did you Did you notice on the A cover? Uh, she's up against a wall, and there's all these missing posters behind her. And I didn't figure out if they're all like one of them is. Ehan Cod Savener. It's Doc Shaner, except the, oh, the letters are all fun. mixed. So I didn't notice that the other names are also mixed up letters of the artists and things. I don't know. You know, I didn't notice, and I'll tell you why. Why would I ever look at the A cover when this gorgeous? Yeah, B that's cover true. <laughs> it's like I, no, I almost had to take breaks while checking that book in because damn, you know what I mean. Um, Roman, anything uh, jumping off your craw to talk about? Anything you particularly liked or thought, liked or thought was interesting? Or curious if I'm reading? You know, I've got did, a list. Did did you? Oh, you've got a list. Did okay. you happen to check out the? Uh, we've got a one shot here from a Portland publisher. Oh, I did. Uh, Microcosm Publishing in Portland, Oregon. No, that was a tiny little one. What was that? Yeah, it was the Black Man's Guide to Getting. Oh over. yeah, yeah, yeah. We, I only ordered two. We didn't ah. have subscribers, but I thought it looked awesome. But I also was very curious in the tone of it. What was that book? You know, it's it's very good. It's um, I assume I don't actually don't know anything about the creators. I don't know. I assume they're people of color. Um, but the introductory page, it's a guide for all people of color, men, women, my friends in the LGBTQI community and those of low economic status. Um, it's just about being the victims of prejudice from our law enforcement. And it's kind of just p- talking about that. And there's some great pages like there's um, a person, a black man sitting in a car and kind of wondering about you know the talk his dad had with him about what to do when the cops pull you over and the guy in the car as you think about that he's wondering what conversations do white parents have with their kids and what conversations do asian parents have with their kids and so on and so on um it's just a good educational comic and you know it's not dry i was expecting it to be kind of dry and a lot of facts and statistics uh there's a real good there's a sense of humor to it and there's a which Really makes it educational, but also makes it very human that there's this shit that they have they have to deal with that, you know, as a white guy, I've never had to deal with. Um, it's a really good effort. I, I'm really impressed by these guys. Uh-oh, I don't hear anything, Jeff. Sorry, I was muted because oh. I was trying to <laughs> make sure you didn't hear my clacking when I was researching him. Um, oh. <laughs> yeah, uh, it looks like it is supposed to be satirical. It's written and I believe drawn by a dude named Johnny Parker. And now my computer is not uh, loaded. Oh, here it is. Um, but the kind of pitch oh. for it on his website is the Black Man's Guide satirically explores the issue of police harassment in an effort to find a solution to the problem or at least, you know, make cops feel guilty enough to leave us alone. <laughs> and yeah, I think that's awesome. And I was happy to support it. I, you know, it's, it's from a small publisher. And so I kind of d- dug through previews to find it. But um, I think that's the kind of stuff. Was it in color? Or was it black and white? It's black and white. And so there's you some know, pictures on the website that look like shots from it that are in color, oh. like that are illustrated, oh. you know, uh, colored. So I, I'm curious um, if this is only a portion of it, because it looks like it's also writing or describing it as a novel. So, oh, really? Then it did, this doesn't say, I don't know if it didn't feel like an excerpt, but uh but maybe it is. It is all black and white. And, you know, the art's fine. It definitely looks like a kind of an indie yeah. publisher, which it is. Um, I would I would be interested in getting more stuff from these guys. Apparently they have some, uh, they, they, they try and make some good deals, outreach to comic shops. Uh, uh, what was the publisher again? Uh, Microcosm Publishing. Okay, yeah, Microcosm. I, I, they, they, we've gotten quite a few bit of stuff from them in the past. Oh, have we? Okay. This is the first, I think this is the first one I was aware of at least who they were. Yeah. Yeah, um, I was very, I was very impressed with it. Sounds good. Sounds good. What would you score it then? Um, I scored it a nine. Oh yeah, I'm glad that you read that. Yeah, I was hoping, I was hoping to get the time to it, but again, I it was a crazy week. I didn't get to all my comics that I was planning to read. Um, but yeah, I hope that some other people picked up off the stand and dig it as well. Yeah, yeah, I hope so too. <laughs> Roman, I, can I be an old man for a second? Yes. 
please and thank you. Um, Your lumbago's the, acting up? No. Bad Idea 2 Part 1 launched this week. Did you read any of the books <laughs> by them? Oh, I did not. <laughs> because we didn't order many of them. Uh, basically, the way that Bad Idea came out last time, um, they changed everything halfway through, and you had to like pre-order the whole set of books that they were going to be releasing if you wanted to buy it their whole thing is that you can't reduce numbers so anyway we had seven people who had wanted to outright buy all of them last time so we got a hold of those people they all wanted to do it again this time um and then Django and i wanted to get a fleet of the books anyway we ordered 10 copies of them i don't think there's shelf copies for anybody because nobody had really interested or expressed interest in other stores it's crazy and it's you know speculators love it um it's easy, I think, as a comics employee to have issues with it, positive or negative. Um, but what I'm most <laughs> just interested in bringing up this week is there was two books this week. Uh, the first was Orc Island and the other is Escape from Wyoming. And I started Orc Island because Ashton had read it and he said he preferred it between the two and he liked the art more. And I agree. I got like 10 pages in. I was like, yeah, this art is fine, but this is the most just generic, like kind of middle of the road, dark horse, basically comic mm-hmm. is how it felt. Um, and I was like, that's how a lot of these bad idea books have felt. I flipped through the other book, which was Escape from Wyoming, and just didn't particularly care for the art. But I looked at the credits on the book, and Orc Island is written by Joshua Dysart, who I know from doing a bunch oh. of the uh, Valiant stuff when the people who were doing bad idea ran Valiant. And Escape from Wyoming was written by Robert Venditti. And I was like, well, yeah, he writes middle of the road DC stuff, but he's also been writing a bunch of the bad idea stuff. So then I decided to go through and make a list of all the bad idea comics that have come out with their creative teams. Cause I was like, this really just feels like the same crew of people that did all of their Valiant stuff. Like, am I wrong? So I made this list and you know, of their like 11 or 12 things that have come out, uh, Matt Kent has written five of them. Robert Venditti has written three of them. Uh, Doug or Jose Van Rip has done the art in two of them. A guy with the last name of Polina did the art in three of them. Uh, David Laugham did the art in three of them. And I was, there is some others, like there's like The Lot, which was Margaret Bennett and Renato Gaitas. Um, There's Christos Gage and a Tomas Giorello. And Mark Russell did one. But anyway, I was just kind of stunned at being vindicated by like, it is just the same. Like, it's not even 10 writers are doing all of the books and not even 10 artists are doing all of the books. And um, it's just weird. Like thinking about it this week, it just really smacked of like, you know, some publishers were like talking to some creators and they're like, I bet we can make a fake publishing company. And if we get you and five or six other writers and five or six other artists, to go in on it and make it really scarce and pump it up with all this weird stuff. We'll make a billion dollars for, you know, two years. It just, it seems like this weird, like we could kind of like, there's no, I guess my point is to say that while these books can be good and can be not that good, I haven't read any that have been great and they all feel like it's very middle of the road comics that we've read from all sorts of different publishers. Like I'm not sure how much of the original launches that you read, but I don't think, I gave any of them a 10. There was Walesville was cool. Yeah, there was two that came to mind that I really liked. Walesville was one. Mm-hmm. And the other one I I thought was the standout. I don't know. I don't think it was sales-wise, but um uh Joshua Dysart's Odin's book, Eye. Odin, yeah, Odin's Eye. I love that. Um yeah. And Walesville, yeah. And that one seemed kind of Odin's Eye out of the main kind of pact of what these were, but even that was like the second or third book from that writer from this publisher, which is like, <laughs> if you guys want to do something cool, do more than just the same writers for everything. Like it's Kent, Dysart, Kent, Milligan, Christos Gage, Kent, Robert Venditti, yeah. Zeb Wells, Margaret Bennett, Matt Kent, Robert Venditti, Matt Kent. Holy crap. Like diversify your stocks. <laughs> do something, make, you know, like anyway, and that was just a really weird thing. I mean, they can be, fine to good to not good like they they're not terrible at, at all that's not what I'm, I mean, I'm trying to be negative about them but it just surprises me that um it's so much the same staple of creators and they're mostly the creators that they brought over from valiant when they were running Valiant. anyway that, that just blew my mind i only made it halfway through the comic i didn't love it but only because i didn't love it i don't think it was bad i was just like i don't i feel like i've read this book a hundred times but was that the one that Ashton recommended? Yeah, and Ashton oh. recommended it based on the art. 
Like he was yeah. like, I like, he was like that one. No, he, and he didn't, wasn't like, Hey, do you guys should read Oops. this? I think we were like, Hey, did you read either of those? And he's like, yeah, I read that one. And I liked it more because the art was better. What's the title of the good art one? Um, Orc Island. Orc Island. Okay. And actually the, that one, and what I've found for these series for the most part is I actually much prefer the backup stories often. And the Orc Island <laughs> had a really fun backup story that I did read all of that. I liked a lot. That was like the animal's perspective of uh, Jonah's or Noah's Ark. Uh, oh. And like they all eat Noah and all that stuff. Uh, it, it was, <laughs> that was, that was fun. But anyway, I was just, I was curious if you were reading it. I, I don't, I, com- I completely forgot. We got bad, uh, bad idea books last week. We're doing it pretty small anymore. Um, but it just <laughs> seems like such an instance of style over substance, which is just something I think about often, but it's just like, they're making it seem like they're rare and you want to get your hands on it. Not based at all on the quality of the book, but based exclusively on their scarcity and the hoops you have to go through to get them. And at some point, I think people are going to be like, "Why is why does anyone care about this?" Because they are worth a bunch of money online, but it's like really? <laughs> not based on their quality at all. So, uh, not to be an asshole, somebody who really really likes the books should shout out at me and tell me I'm I'm wrong. Um, by all means, I would love that. Uh, what what's uh, what else? What's another thing on your world? Um, boy, I don't I can't remember now. If, oh, I wasn't on that week. The last issue when the last issue of Punisher. Number six came out. Oh, but I, re- I didn't oh. read that only oh. because we sold out. I actually brought my books home this week and then lost the bag. And I oh. now I'm like, oh, crap. Wait, I don't, you don't worry about spoilers um, by all <laughs> means. But but that's I'm like, oh, crap. That was a big hole I had. Oh, yeah. Um, well, Punisher number seven. Uh, great issue. Great issue. I and I know some people were like, oh, geez, we're going to Daredevil and the Punisher fighting each other again. Big deal. But it was really good. I mean, the stuff they're doing in this series with with um, Frank and his family and when he, he came back. And this issue gets specifically into how he was, Francine's, his wife, um, her perspective on how he was when he got home from whichever war and continuity he was in now. It used to be Vietnam. Now, I don't know if it was Afghanistan or what. Yeah, I think they but, kind of um, changed it to Afghanistan. Yeah, yeah, that's you know sliding time scale. Yeah, exactly. But, Magneto and Punisher are hanging out in a bar together, being like, you know, when I used to, you know, what war I used to be from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's um, make light of tragedy. Sorry, but <laughs> but this is great, just because you know his his wife, who has been brought back from the dead. I mean, she's starting to gain regain more and more memories, um, and figure out things aren't as they should be, and that's interspersed in the issue with daredevil confronting frank because now daredevil's you know the leader of the hand and frank's the leader of the the wait did i get that right the fist yeah Yeah, yeah. (laughs) um so they come they confront each other in this and come to blows and and that's cool but it's but the really heart of the story is the their francine's narration and the flashbacks we get of how messed up because because it's always been kind of thought that okay frank was messed up in vietnam or whichever right. war he served in um but then he came home and then he was you know pretty well adjusted fine and happy uh until his family got killed well no in this jason aaron really starts exploring how no he got back from war and like a lot of veterans couldn't adjust um was distant and you know slept in a tent in the backyard because he couldn't sleep in the house with his wife um slept in a tent with a gun on his chest and yeah. <laughs> and as, as he's, he's so messed up and poor his poor wife and their poor kids the kids are afraid of him at first because they're like who is this dude um, um and it's just so touching and, and heartbreaking and, and and good and good and the fight with daredevil is great too because just because daredevil tries to exercise the influence of the beast from frank you, you know you know daredevil is a heavily catholic character right and he pulls out a crucifix and does a spell Dr. Strange taught him. And, you know, how that goes is really interesting. <laughs> it was a cool issue. Dang. Um, you talking about that kind of reminded me of that comic series that I haven't really thought about much since it came out. But I gave a lot of the issues tens, I believe, but Lost Soldiers by Alish Cott. Mm, yeah. You know, but that's like kind of PTSD after the war type thing. But I think that, yeah, Punisher is such an interesting character when you're exploring that aspect of him. I like the Garth Ennis, like Punisher born, where like he did go to war and it kind of awoken something in him, awakened something in him. Yeah. Um, And this Jason Aaron one is exploring this very interesting idea of like, was he a horrible psychopathic monster from the time he was a child even? 
you know, like that was a lot of the first kind of six issues or so. And I don't know how I feel about that. Do you like the idea that he's been a psychopath since birth? I'm almost wondering if that's like a kind of planted memories that the fist or hand or whatever is doing, putting their fisting him with, you know? Yeah, and it could still be because apparently there's been, you know, agents of the fist watching him since he was a child right um, which is we that goes into that kind of world of like destined to be this which i almost kind of prefer him being the victim of circumstance and sympathizable as a result of it yeah i i still would kind of prefer that too because you know we have so many so 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 many stories that where so-and-so is the one for yeah. whatever um and sometimes those are great like luke skywalker but you know we don't need the Punisher to be the one. Um, but as we're coming along in these stories, I think he's more and more a pawn, even though he's the leader of the 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 sect. I think he's a pawn of them more and more. Would and you describe first, him as the Punisher? The Punisher. <laughs> I would, just not to his face. Oh, yeah. Um, you up. Yeah. And at first, I didn't like that, that, yeah, he's had these violent tendencies since he, pretty much since he was a child. As the series goes on, though, Jason Aaron's doing it so well that I'm I'm enjoying his story and it makes sense and it still fits with um the Bourne miniseries. Yeah. So first okay. I was feeling it contradicted that, but it doesn't really. I've loved all I mean it's probably certainly top three Punisher series I've ever read, being the Garth Ennis ones, the Greg Rucka, Marco Chiquetto one, and then this one. Um yeah. I'm loving it. But yeah, I, yeah, I just need this is the one issue I haven't read only because I've lost my sack. I've got, I've got one here for you. Oh, heck yeah. Thanks, buddy. Um, well, what would you give it out of 10? And I bet it's high and I feel bad for not having it. I'll bring it in for you tomorrow with your birthday present. Oh, I don't <laughs> um, I gave it I gave it a nine. Ooh, I could I could even go nine point five. I mean, I love that. That's my highest score of the week is a nine. So I'm, I'm liking it. Um, Roman, I got a I've got an idea that. You probably didn't read these two books. Now tell me if I'm wrong. Did you read um did you read Quick Stops by Kevin Smith, Anecdotes from the Animals of the Ask Universe? Or did you read uh The Ones by Brian Michael Bendis? I did not. I looked I looked at them both. And I, and I got it's funny, it's got, I, I debated about the ones because I was like, oh, I usually don't appreciate Bendis. <laughs> it was I, such a generous way of putting it. Yeah. I usually don't appreciate him that <laughs> yeah, much. Yeah, yeah. I was trying to be diplomatic. Um, and I but I almost did because of the art because I thought, well, the art's pretty cool. That looks fun. But then I had such a stack of other comics, I didn't read either one of them. Yeah. Um what I'll say, and and I, yeah, I neither one of them. You don't like Kevin Smith stuff that much these days, and and you don't like Brian Michael Bendis, is why I assumed that. But yeah, though, though I've liked Kevin Smith's comic books more than I have his movies. This is definitely a comic that sounds like his movies. Ah, uh, you know, it, it is his characters from the Venus universe, so it all kind of takes place after the Chasing Amy movie. If you like Kevin Smith's movies, you should definitely get this. If you don't care for Kevin Smith's movies, you should absolutely avoid this at all costs <laughs> it is like you know kevin's it's like watered down kevin smith movies it's mm. you know, the art it's black and white it feels like 90s stuff there is a fun thing where like he is trying to like write the origin or he's describing the telling the story of when he came up with the origin of blunt man and chronic and it's him getting stoned with jay and silent bob but the whole thing is then drawn and he like goes out with them for a night and they it's drawn as if it's dark Knight returns and it's like them fighting in the like when batman fights the mutant leader in the mud and he does a, they do it the artist does a pretty great uh frank miller <laughs> but it i guess i like it because it it glues together the view universe it it the you know the kevin smith movies that have come out you know it, it's references jane silent bob strike back it just it fits it's the glue between stones there so if you like kevin smith a lot um i think it was a lot of fun but only really if you like kevin smith i would not say it's objectively great so i gave that an 8.0 the ones though um <sighs> I did like the art. It did like look like Michael Avon oming a little bit or something, hmm. but it, it it gave me that feeling that I bet you get while reading Bendis comics, which is you know his he's got like a bunch of kids now. He's living a life. He almost died. Like yeah, you don't have to be writing comics all the time. I guess I'm saying that to say I haven't really enjoyed his output in the last several years nearly as much as his stuff from ten years ago or so. But this is basically a a gathering the troops issue is a bunch of people who are all the one for some different reason they're the chosen one and it turns out at the end it's because they have to kill satan's baby but they all have like powers maybe and they're 
wrangled together by this guy and then we jump to the future and they were no they were supposed to kill this baby and they're like well let's just check on it in a couple of years and then we jump to the future at the end and like hell is taking over earth and they're like man we fucked this up it's it's fine but i think that it does fall into that kind of the the thing about bendis that some people don't love which is that a lot of the characters are very quippy and i don't think they're written with super super strong personalities so like in the next issue of this, I would read, I'd have to kind of be like, okay, you're the one that looks like this or does this, you know, rather than having that instilled in their dialogue and how I read it. So I would give the ones a 7.0 and I would give the quick stops Tales from the Viewist Universe an 8.0. I would say all in all, I liked the quick, stop, quick stops quite a bit more, um, but they both kind of fit into this same pocket to me of like writers that I like to read, but not because I think they're super talented. They're just like generally... I vibe with their kind of goofy sensibilities. And uh, um, yeah, that's that that's that little corner of the comic world for me, Rome Dog. That's funny. That's, I appreciate that. That was that was good. You know, it's funny. And I just I feel like an idiot because I just now got the joke. Oh, the quick stops. I get because uh, the get quick because the quick stop was wasn't that the store that right. Randall worked in? Well, it's the, it's the store that Kevin worked in. Um, oh, that he worked okay. That, that Clerks One takes place in, and Clerks Three takes place in, yeah. and yeah, 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 yeah. It's been a while since I think I think Red State was the last Kevin Smith. Did that come out before or after Jane Silent Job Bob Strike Back? Jane Silent Bob Strike Back came out when I was in middle school or early high school, but Jane Silent Bob Reboot just recently came out. Right. Um, so Red I guess, State so, was like eight years ago, nine years ago. Okay, I think Red State was the last kevin smith movie i i like which is funny because i know that's not a very popular kevin smith movie. oh no i love that movie i I would i would love you know you've got a whole list of things that you're watching and doing but i would love to hear your thoughts on a a revisit of clerks um because it's i think an incredible movie it's black and white it's so dialogue based but um it was so important to me in my like late teens early 20s and i think that i could find some reasons to be pretty uh, resonant with it now in my life as well so yeah. I, I i think but i think that those reasons i resonate with it you would as well so i, I would be curious what you think about a rewatch yeah. of clerks we should watch it yeah because i think that's definitely his movie that holds up the best yeah um did you read secret invasion by ryan north writer of unbeatable squirrel girl i did oh i missed, I missed a great way on that because I, you were the you and brayden were like the squirrel girl folk i missed a great joke on there i, I mean know. i i, I, I should have said did i it's a secret Oh wow! You but you did manage to just say that, and it got me horked. As it <laughs> oh, were. good, good. Um, so good. so thank you. That was very erotically charged. <laughs> Ooh. Um, yes, I did read this, which I you know I don't know why we're getting another Secret Invasion book, but because the show is about to come out. Oh, uh, is that why? Yeah, there's okay. a show coming. I out. forgot there's a show. Um, but what got me to pick this up actually was what I noticed. It was written by Ryan North. Otherwise I would have just, that's the only reason I read it as well. Yeah. I would have ignored it. Um, and I'm trying to refresh my memory. Cause I read it like, gosh, I don't know. Days and days and days ago. Uh, it was pretty good. You know, it's Nick Fury um, junior, I guess, technically. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's about him during in the aftermath of the first secret invasion and finding out that there may still be some, uh, some scrolls out there screws up to no good and it's just about him being a cool cool spy going around and meets with maria hill who's now with the cia well i read this a little bit more freshly than that really Um, yeah 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 and i like because it starts with nick fury jr doing what you're saying um and then we spend more time with him but it becomes clear that the nick fury we're hanging out with is actually a screw and maria hill is like you missed all these code words that I dropped. And it means that you're not the real Nick Fury. Kill this guy. And then it becomes, he's a, he's a screw. And then he sends word out. She sends word out to all the shield people. And there's a Nick Fury in like eight different places trying to do something. And he gets <laughs> kidnapped and shot or, you know, detained. Cause all of these skrill, uh, skrill Nick Furies are out there trying to be Nick Fury. And then there's a pretty good shot at the end there um, where we maybe learn that probably, I think that Black Panther is maybe a Skrill because there's that bit at the end where like the Avengers are fighting some Ultron things and like, man, we got some scroll things and there's like, ah, no, it's probably fine or whatever. And then there's a shot of a bunch of people walking through a room and it's that girl with the Phoenix belt, Black Widow, Captain Marvel, Captain America and Iron Man. And then a different room is a Skrill. And the only one that was with him that's not in that picture is is Black Panther. That's what I was. Well, I was wondering because that top of that page where it shows those Avengers walking through wherever yeah. they're walking through. 
Oh, you're Black right. Panther, That's his head I, is. I just right. yeah. But except it's it's tricky because his head is like over almost right. off the panel and it's it in looks the shadows. like shadows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you and you can't see his eyes at all. It's like well, no shoot, my lead is gone. It's not necessarily <laughs> well, black. Although Panther. I wonder because of that positioning and stuff, but that's still a hint that he T'Challa isn't T'Challa. Maybe who knows? But that was a good catch on your part, Roman. But I, I, guess I caught it just now, actually. <laughs> more than anything, I just thought it was really good, kind of espionagey. You can't trust anybody stuff. Yeah, yeah. I didn't expect uh, the the even though now saying it, it's kind of like, oh well, come on, how could you not suspect? But I didn't suspect there was a bunch of um, Skrill, Nick Fury's Nick Fury, Skrills. Nick Fury, agent of Skrill, Skrills, Skrilla. Yeah. Um, it- I, you know, I like the original Secret Invasion, but it was much less cerebral as I think about it. Like it was it was much more like kind of like Marvel Civil War version of who can you mm-hmm. trust? And this, because it's much lower stakes, feels a little bit more like I like this, you know, like catch the you spend all this time with Nick Fury. Oh, it's not Nick Fury. Oh, there's a bunch of Nick Furies out there. Like, I can't trust anybody. You can't, tr- you know, like uh, the Secret Invasion large event happened on a larger scale. And as such, um, you know, anything that is great in breadth is generally lacking in depth you know mm-hmm. so like uh that i suppose i would say yeah yeah i agree so did you like it i mean it's ryan north i can't really think of many things that ryan north has done since squirrel girl Skrill girl um boy and now i can't remember i know i read it whatever he did after squirrel girl i read it um i did like oh, it yeah. I, I, i'll read the Maybe next power one for pack sure. or something like that Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, he's one of those writers that, you know, I, I trust him. I trust whatever he does. It's going to be it's going to be entertaining. It was definitely enough to make me want to read the next issue. Um, I think. Yeah, I think he's he he did a really good job of uh, perfecting a tone in this. Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, I gave it a seven point five. I gave it an eight, eight point five. I'm going to go with eight based on our conversation. I think it was well done. Didn't break the the mold or anything, but in terms of you remember like right before the pandemic there was that mini series called Meet the Scrolls that was done by a like a kind of middling tier writer. Yeah. And it was like a scroll family and it was but it was awesome. Yeah. It was yeah. really well done. The art was gorgeous. It was by like Romero, maybe not Romero. Um maybe anyway, uh I will I won't waste everyone's time trying to think about it. But anyway, it was really really good. Um hey Roman, did you read Batman Deadly Duo the the joint by um <laughs> you know i did not really um because uh, yeah because you know i remember the 90s and mark Silvestri then and i didn't like him then i don't think i'm gonna like him now but i was trusting that that you would have read it i did read it um and i feel the exact same way about you i think their art is pretty cool mark Silvestri's, but i don't really have any faith in their writing sensibilities and i also think that when you are trying to tell modern day Marvel or DC stories where you're really capitalizing on an art style from the past, especially when you're trying to bank on that artist, then writing it, I Mm. don't generally have much faith in those things. That said, the art is very cool, but it's very just sort of like Batman fighting in Gotham, lots of cops, lots of Batman in costumes. There's a couple of nice, really like nice glory shots of Batman flying around, but kind of centers around there. There's some like bad boy Joker clone type things. Um, and now Batman's going to have to team up with Joker to try and t- take him down. Kind of transparent. Um, but I think the reason you would be getting it would be for the art. If you're a huge Sylvester fan, yeah. I'm not. I don't know that there are a ton of currently that are like i'll buy anything sylvester but it is cool looking but it kind of puts it's right in that category of like um the batman jim lee kind of italian story that came out a number of years ago right before moving to the new place or like not even batman stories like black and white but like when you're really kind of banking on the art and less the story and um i gave this one a 6.5 again i think it looks pretty rad but i didn't really like enjoy reading it that much but i did like looking at the pictures um and it yeah i i, I want to talk to somebody who likes it a lot. i bet jango liked it a lot uh, i know he's a, i think I, oh, I think he's a sylvester fan but uh you know middle of the road for me um anything you got left that you liked a lot i've got one that i thought was pretty dang good that's left but i'm curious where you're at oh i've got a couple that i don't i've got a couple i mean we have, need to have, wrap it up but, yeah, yeah that i don't have really anything new to say about because they're ones i always but that we always think are great and they're no surprises that texas blood number 19 which is oh. the the conclusion of this current storyline i'm gonna read it one day and then night of the ghoul number two i mean they're both you read that oh yeah they're both the cover of it is a giant spider escaping out of someone's mouth 
Well, see, I, rash- I, rash- I have it right here. And I was like, well, me rationalizing was like, well, Roman's not going to read that. So I don't need to get that <laughs> done for the podcast. Well, I rationalized reading it by thinking, OK, I read the first issue. Yes, it's spider like and it's horrible, but it's not a spider. It's it's a demonic form of this creature. And as long as I don't look at the cover very and I just quickly I held my begging board on the cover while I was reading it. So I wouldn't accidentally get a, like a quick spider flash. You dog. <laughs> Cause it's you all dog. about, you know, film and horror and Oh my God, it's so good. Actually. Um, what I realized is that today is the <laughs> one month, well not anniversary, but like a month ago I was gone cause I was in Michigan. So this week uh, there were some number twos that came out that I had not read uh, the number ones of that is one of them. So I had not read either of them, but I backburnered it thinking you wouldn't read a spider thing. But so, so it's old. <laughs> so I haven't read any of this. What's good about this? Oh, what is this? Oh, a night of the ghoul. It's, um, well, it's Franco Francovia, all art interiors, which is pretty amazing. A horror story. Um, the, the story in modern times is about this guy, him and his kid go to interview this old man in a nursing home who the dad thinks is actually this, filmmaker of this long this this lost film um and it turns out he is he's under an alias here and it turns out he's been trapped in this nursing home for years by the the doctor who's been inhabited by the ghoul and the ghoul is this millennia old demon thing that's actually responsible for it's pretty much behind all of the legends around the world werewolves vampires that this is actually the creature that inspired all those stories um and we find out kind of there it's interspersed the current the modern story is interspersed with this old man his film he made back in the 40s or 50s that's a film about this uh unit in world war ii who invades this castle accidentally frees the ghoul and inhabits one of the soldiers and then they the war ends and they go home and it's about the so it's about the ghoul coming to america <laughs> kind of and the film was presented as fiction and then it was a lost film and it turns out the film was actually telling a real story and it's just it's just very the way it all kind of gels together and is slowly revealed it's very cool it's very horrifying i like things that like comics that actually scare me but not that many actually do i'm uh i'm a very frightened person but the type of things that really scare me don't often come through in like comics or movies um but sean also said this is one of his probably favorite horror books of the year i think so mm. i was excited to read it but I, I wasn't sure if you were going to but francesco francovia is an artist i think it's paired up incorrectly a lot of times like they'll put him on dc books and stuff yeah. which i like his art so i always want to see it but it's nice when you, you know, like in this, there's a lot of just atmospheric pages where it's like gray tone and there's talking and his art really allows itself to be the center focus. Whereas when you're putting him in like mainstream comics, I think his art needs to support these characters. Um, and it doesn't always work with the exception of like maybe his Batman Black Mirror run with Scott Snyder, who also wrote this one. So uh, I, yeah, they they seem to team up well together. I'm glad to hear that you also love it and that I need to get off my butt and read the it's going to be three issues long. So I agree. I, I'm in, I'm picturing something he did recently with Harley Harley Quinn. Yeah. And it was fine, but his art didn't really fit a Harley story. Right. But yeah, the very I mean, the, the first page of this comic, the close up of the old so man good. in bed, just it's such a great horror image. And he's and he's screaming, run. <laughs> it seems like I mean, like a good Franco Francesco Francovia page is like a cover from Tales from the Crypt or something. I think he channels yeah. that tone better than anybody. Yep. 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 Definitely. Uh, what was your score for that one? I uh, gave it a nine point five. Hey, yo. Did you read Behold Behemoth by Boom Comics by Tate Bromall and Nick Robles? I did. And I was curious to talk about it because before the podcast, I was looking at it and and I really couldn't remember anything. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I get that. I we read a lot of comics um, <laughs> and we're recording this a little bit later than normal. So it's been a couple extra days. This is basically a guy. We start with a flashback between a guy and his brother. And what we find out is that this guy's brother died and was like in the military or the army or something. Cop, cop. And it's the remaining brother at this funeral. The two brothers were inseparable. They had this big falling out at some point. No one knows what's going on. And the remaining brother has now been kind of exposed to some sort of like demon thing. He's been taking medication. He's like blacking out, losing time. And in trying to do some welfare checkups for some child, uh, he touches them, not in a bad way, and <laughs> has some flashes to the future. 
and we get this kind of flash about demons taken over and then him and this little girl kind of at the end of the world trying to save the you know save the goddamn world is the quote what i liked a lot was the art it was super atmospheric you get the, like the double title page is this uh double splash orange it reminds me of like where i grew up just in the summer like just yeah. Uh, red skies and like the everything's on the verge of burning up at any given moment. And that art is gorgeous throughout the entire series, so much so that it, it really anchored me in a story that maybe isn't revolutionary in its the novelty of its ideas, but I did like them. Um, you're kind of trying to assess what this comic is saying, but you keep slipping out of it as the protagonist blacks out because he thinks it's because of these medications, but maybe it's just like he's associating with this demonic possession. We just don't really know yet, and we don't really know the history between him and his brother. I just thought that it, uh, especially for a first issue from a writer and artist that I was not familiar with, I think it really knocked it out of the park. Um, it wasn't super scary, but it was interesting and generally unsetting unsettling uh there's a demon possession stories or a dime a dozen um but this one seems just left of that and i really did really like the art so um and then kind of the glimpses of the future of them uh, kind of like that image book by robert kirkman oblivion song there's echoes of that just like these kind of like two an adult and child post-apocalyptic wasteland shots so it i i liked it pretty good even in spite of feeling like i it wasn't necessarily a thing that i would generally love okay yeah i was ah um yeah i remember liking it well enough and i like the art and i like there's little details in it that i really like like they like the artist included and maybe this is in the script i don't know but it's probably in the script um but they don't talk about it in the issue. It's just that when he's in this um, near future, whenever it is, everybody, well, not, well, he doesn't, but other people he encounters, they have the, um, oh, the thing they do sometimes during, uh, I think it's when you take communion and, mm-hmm. and they, they do the cross on your forehead with the smudge. Oh, the, Ash Wednesday for in, in Catholicism, Catholicism. Catholicism? Is it for Ash Wednesday? I don't. I don't know. Um, I believe that's what that is. Is they? Oh well, yeah. There is this. The girl in this home, he's doing this welfare check on, has a cross in ash and on, on her forehead. And I, I thought yeah. they were doing that to kind of talk about that the fact that she's in a home with a father who's losing his mind. Yeah, and her dad has it too. Oh, see, I I assumed it was more than just this family. I thought maybe oh, are people all over now in whatever's going on in the in society. I, doing I think this it's to just the two of them. protect themselves oh, okay could I think just the two of them have it ah and i okay, think it's that, because that... she has some sort of demon possession or something and he's been like the dad has been on yeah. track about it and now the dad is dead and this guy touches her and sees this future oh okay okay that actually yeah looking through this again that makes more sense because yeah it's just the her and the dad that have that have that uh cross on their foreheads boom studios puts out a lot of comics that feel like this um yeah it doesn't on no level did it again break the mold, but I li- I think I liked every aspect of the execution of it. You know, oftentimes you can get a story that feels a little bit like this, and like you like the writing and the art's fine, or you love the art and the writing's fine. Um, and this, I would say, every aspect of it was yeah, like kind of in the eight eight point five range for me. So that's why I gave it as a whole an eight point five. Yeah, and I, I give it a seven point five. Um, I have another. I have a question about a book I did not read, but going back, I'm curious if you did. I bet you did. This is insane, but I was gone a month ago when the first issue of this series came out, Gotham City Year One by Tom King and Phil Hester. When I got back to town, it was one of the things I was most excited about. And I asked most of the people we worked with, I was like, hey, was that good? And they were like, it was very much a Tom King number one. They're like, I don't really know if it was good. It was it was fine. Um, So I was contemplating the idea of maybe waiting to read all of it together or something. But did you read, so now this week, it's been a month, Gotham City Year One Issue 2 by Tom King and Phil Hester has come out. Have you? Are you reading this? I am reading it. Um, is it good? Yeah, I'm liking it. Um, what is it? It's it's basically a story, at first I wasn't sure, is this a Black Label book? Uh, no, it doesn't say Black Label. It doesn't technically say it anywhere, but yeah. yeah. It's the story of... Um, it's, Slam Bradley. It's yeah, it's the old DC Golden Age character Slam Bradley. I think first appeared in Detective Number One or Action Comics Number One, um, probably Detective. And it's just him investigating this. Uh, well, he gets accused. He he's a suspect, and he gets accused of. Uh, well, he gets roughed up by some bad guys, but the cops think he's up to something too. He's embroiled in one of these classic uh, film noir type of cases, and it's 
involves some wanes that, that I've never heard of before. So at first I was kind of confused if these were new characters, if it's a different world, if these are just wanes that have been established, names have been established in Morrison's run or Scott Snyder's run or whoever. So I don't know which continuity this fits in, but it's a good story. Slam Bradley, you know, lives up to his nickname. He's he's rough and tumble and hard drinking. And and you can see why he's like, you know, he tra- he, tra- he helped train Ted Grant and Catwoman and all sorts of people. It's just a good hard boiled detective story. Lots of twists and turns. Lots of there's a femme fatale. There's some mysteries going on with the Waynes. I love Slam Bradley because of uh, Darwin Cook's association. You know, he did in like his solo issue, he does some Slam Bradley stuff. And I think he kind of yeah. at different times has done Slam Bradley stuff as my most clear association with the character. Um, I'm loving Human Target. And it's like Tom King's take on a similar type of thing than this. So I don't know why I'm not chomping at the bit to read this. I should be. Um, yeah, you should pick up the first one. I've got it right here in front of me. I'm looking at oh, both okay. of them. Um, I, I mean, obviously, like we love Tom King. I'm sure it's great. But I was just surprised that no one was like, and I haven't talked to you yet, but no one was like, yeah, you got to read that. It was great. No one. Um, Not not even Janko? No. He said it was very much a Tom King issue. Uh, Like he was like, yeah, you know. I I can't remember. He didn't dismiss it at all, but he he didn't necessarily say like, yes, this was a good one. Yeah. See, and I think, I mean, I could be wrong in my memory, but I I think I like the second issue a little more than the first issue. Just just because if nothing else, I have my footing more with it Mm -hmm. and understand like who these characters are. Yeah. as I've been presented. So, oh, it's Richard Wayne and Constance Wayne. Oh, I feel like those are mentioned in the Morrison one. We should get some recon since we did that podcast about it. Yeah. Time. Yeah. I didn't remember them, but there's so many Waynes. Then we had some day. wonderful guests come into our store that had listened to that podcast recently and uh, said some very kind words about that. So I just, I'll send out a reminder to folks. If you have not listened to Batman in quarantine and you are listening or thinking about reading the Batman by Morrison run, we highly recommend it. And we did a podcast that accompanies the entire thing. The whole shebang. That was how we spent our quarantine vacation. Well, so then what are you giving Gotham City year one? And should I read it? It sounds like absolutely yes. And duh. Definitely read it. And I I go to 8.5. Hell yeah. But that could easily be a nine. I don't know. I, I feel like I underscored it because I love the wow. art too. Classic Tom King. Yeah, I'm going to give it a nine. Hell Yeah. Um, do you have any other things to cover before we get out of here? I feel like we're we're we've covered some good ground here, um, but I've got all wrap wrap up statements after you do your wrap up statements about books. Sure. Um, what do I have anything else to say? Uh, I read that new number one hell to pay, and you know it was it was all right. That's that that is the one book <laughs> in my I want to read for the podcast stack I haven't read yet. You ah. know. Um, it, outside of that House of Ghouls one, which I was not planning to, but um, was Hell to Play good? It was Charles Soule, who, in general, you are a fan of. Yeah, it 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 sets up an interesting, some interesting world building. It's about a couple that's been kind of indentured to this secret society and ends up fighting demons and or maybe kind of demons. It, has, it does some cool stuff with Hell and the hierarchy of Hell that's that I that seems pretty creative and new. Okay. It almost it almost seems a little look, bit like the. Uh, Hellraiser mythos in some ways. Okay, I like I like that mythos. Um, well, that, okay, that sounds good. I, what I would say is just that Batman 129, 9.0, not worth mentioning because it's consistently always great. Uh, ends with Batman, you know, waiting out in space for a pickup ride that might not be coming. But he's, <laughs> I'm amazed that we've had this many issues of just like a chase scene, essentially. You know, yeah. like... <laughs> I think this is the fifth issue of just like Batman getting chased fourth issue of Batman getting chased by a robot. He built subconsciously and that's crazy. Um, but the, ma- the fact that it's like stayed interesting is, is a testament to <clears throat> uh, Chip Zdarsky's writing and then dark Knights of steel or dark Knights of steel. Yeah. That's what it's called. Um, <laughs> is, is that what it's called? Dark. That's what it's called. Yeah. Okay. It continues to be great. Uh, it went on a break. It had a one shot come out. There was one issue. Then there was another break. It's back. I think it has suffered a little bit by just, it's such a Game of Thronesian story of families and politics and power and lineage that uh, being able to read it in close proximity with subsequent issues, I think, makes the whole thing more beneficial. But even still, you still you love it. Uh, Andrew sent, you know, a thing that occurred to me while reading this was Andrew sent an email last week when you weren't here. And it, it was kind of in response to the Tim Drake, uh, you know, relationship and the kind of the, the change in him going from like heterosexual to bisexual. And he was like, you guys don't seem that into that. Why is that? And our response was kind of just that it felt 
uh, like quick. It felt abrupt. And within this issue of Dark Knights of Steel, there's just they nod to the they. Well, I mean, they they show scenes of the relationship between Poison Ivy and Harley Quinn. And I just wanted to shout out that I think that's an instance of that done really, really correctly. Like they were both kind of romantically ambiguous. Um, they didn't there wasn't characters necessarily you're super invested in that they had relationships in. Um, and I love that relationship. Now, uh, if any, if either of them had a relationship outside of that, it would bum me out a ton because I've kind of dealt with it for, yeah. and, you know, it's been in stuff for the last chunk of time. So um, I just think it's an instance of doing it really, really well. Yeah, um, I, I agree. The uh, Harley and Ivy relationship is, well, it's been built up organically over years. And that's what um, I mean. Like I, I I feel like the difference is when something is built up organically over years versus abruptly. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which, you know, with Tim Drake so far anyway, it, it feels like it's like, it's a little too much like, Oh, boom, all of a sudden, you know, he's by, which, Oh, sure. He could be by. Yeah. I have no problem with that, but it would have been nice to see it develop organically in his character. Um, you know, even just a few panels where he's thinking about it and questioning things and realizing, oh, you know, but we didn't get that. Right. So I only bring that up uh, just because uh, I love too uh, when people ask us questions about why we feel the way that we do. And it's very interesting to me to think about that. So I appreciate that, Andrew. And it's a thing that I'll kind of continue to think about in reading. And that came up in thinking about Dark Knights of Steel this week. So I gave that an eight. And like I said, Batman a nine. Dark Knights of Steel is so mm. damn good. Yeah, I was glad to see it back. I, I, had a little bit of I couldn't remember exactly like the last issue what had happened exactly but you know I enjoy the characters I there's almost every issue there's like in this one there's sudden like oh shit moments yeah <laughs> the final page is a great oh shit yeah. moment but. yeah well on that note I think we're going to get out of here you can send us a voicemail or email at jeff at the comicsplace.com write an email write a note in your phone with text we want it send it via email to jeff j-e-f-f at thecomicsplace.com thecomicsplace.com you can also record a voice memo on your phone like has happened many times recently and I just attach that an email to jeff at thecomicsplace.com so please do that we really really like that it uh, puts gas in the tank every week that it's done so thank you very very much uh, we look forward to having Django back next week assuming he's able to put a, like a sack load of comics in him as he gets back <laughs> you know midway through the week on a, a out of town adventure so Django look forward to having you here assuming you can handle a sack which I know you can <laughs> but more than anything Roman to get to hang out with you is a treat like no other. Thank you, uh, buddy. No, thank you. The treat, the treat is all. Wait, receiving. Oh, what heck! Receiving this treat is all mine. Oh, <laughs> you know, on a note of another person I love dearly, kind of like you, Roman. Uh, yesterday, our friend Jay Christensen came over to my house with Jake and Sean in, in this oh. co-house and watched uh, the Seahawks football game with us. Another oh, nice. person I love so. Um, would love to have you over love to have to anyone over uh, but thank you all for listening this was episode 281 we'll see you next week for 282 as we continue the long cold march to 300 snow in bellingham today it was insane i am always am jeff and i am roman also as always, as always. love you buddy